Welcome to the Popular Pig Podcast, a convenient place where you can stay up to date on what's popular in the swine industry. By listening to Popular Pig, you will receive invaluable information on the latest trends, news, and research from various experts who guide the global pork industry. Popular Pig is brought to you by Swine Tech, the award-winning creators of SmartGuard and PigFlow. To learn how PigFlow can help you streamline your workforce and reduce piglet and sow deaths, visit swinetechnologies.com. Popular Pig is also made possible by the National Pork Board, Intervention, Johnsonville Foods, High Pork Genetics, Minitube, Brenneman Pork, Fibro Animal Health, Swine Robotics, Innovative Heating, and PigEquipment.com. Brought to you by American Resources. Welcome to the Popular Pig Podcast. My name is Matthew Rota, your host for today's episode. Today, we're going to talk about debunking myths around sustainability and nutrition with Tara Vander Dusen. How are you today? Hi, thanks for having me. I'm excited to have this topic. I've seen so many of your videos on Insta and or on LinkedIn talking about these topics, and you do such a fantastic job of breaking them down and sharing the passion behind where you're coming from. So I'd love to start out just by having you introduce yourself, your background, and what you are doing today to really focus on progressing agriculture and I guess the consumer's perception of it. Yeah, so I um, am a fifth generation dairy farmer, grew up on my family's dairy farm in New Mexico, married a dairy farmer just down the road, dairy farm with him and his family and our two girls. I got my degree in environmental science from the University of Arizona and came back to the dairy to work as an environmental consultant on our dairy, as well as I have clients throughout New Mexico. And I've done that for about the past 10 years, just helping dairy farms with permitting, regulation, just all things environmental. And about six years ago, I actually just saw a really big need to start sharing online. I had a young daughter. I was in a lot of Facebook groups and about like little kids. And it was just shocking to me how much of the conversation around like milk and the nutrition of milk ended up talking about the environmental side of things, like what the environmental impact of dairy cattle were. Uh, And so I just kind of wanted a platform where I could really share. And that was kind of like, I guess, the birth behind my platforms. Um, Originally, I was New Mexico Milkmaid. Now I just share as my name, Tara Vanderdeusen. And then in the last couple of months, I just really have leaned into kind of like the debunking videos, like you said, and just kind of like if somebody sends me an article or someone sends me another, like an influencer online that's sharing about agriculture, I will go through and kind of like share where there's missteps maybe or inaccurate information. And I have really loved doing those. I think they've been really well received. Um, I started sharing them out on LinkedIn as well. You mentioned that, that I, you saw them on LinkedIn and that's been a ton of fun. It's a different audience over there on LinkedIn. And it's always interesting to me, the different conversations from LinkedIn versus Instagram. How, how have you seen a difference between the two platforms? So I definitely think LinkedIn is more professional. And so people are kind of like, where's, you know, can we see the research? Where's the links? Like just um, also bringing other like sources up, like, but have you seen this? Or I saw this. And I feel like um, Instagram is not there yet. You know, people are just more <laughs> casually scrolling on there. They're not like at a computer being like, oh, let me pull up this research and tag it to the, the comment section. So you're the hero or the villain on Insta. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is very true um, that it is. I do feel like social media can be so polarizing. It is. So with that, what are some of the myths around sustainability that you see come up on a regular basis or that you are debunking? 
I feel like there is a lot, but I feel like the biggest like overarching one is just the overall, what is the impact of agriculture, animal agriculture specifically on the environment. And a lot of this actually gets like lost in translation of the difference between North America or the United States numbers versus global numbers. Like the global numbers for agriculture are obviously a larger impact. And so I'll see a lot of people online share information about the global numbers, which I understand why they do that. But I also think it's important to highlight the United States numbers and see how much lower our carbon footprint is, how we're making progress and how we could relay those progresses to other countries. Instead of like eliminating animal ag, it's like, let's just do things better. Let's improve on what we know works. Yeah. I mean, when we look at animal ag, there's a good amount of protein produced. That's pretty much almost carbon neutral to begin with. And this whole carbon credit thing has just been crazy to me. I mean, I was buying tickets to to head over to France and it asked me if I wanted to pay an extra $16 to offset my carbon footprint. I'm like, how is that even possible? And then, then with them buying carbon credits to pay for producers to inspire them to be more sustainable, they really missed the boat that producers have been sustainable this whole time because usually sustainability and profitability overlap in so many ways. I feel like that carbon credit conversation, I mean, we could go on a tangent here, (laughs) but it is so interesting to me that it's like you can buy your carbon neutral and I like, so I'm, I don't know. It's just, that's a weird thing. And then ag, I, I'm excited for the opportunities with carbon credits because I agree with you. Farmers have been doing things for a really long time. So I'm excited that there's like incentives out there for farmers to continue doing these things. Um, They can be really costly. I also, though, am always like, I hope our carbon credits stay within our food supply system so that ag gets the credit for them. Whereas if you sell your carbon credits off to like an oil company, like there's this gray area that's like, well, then you're helping make oil carbon neutral, not making ag. Like it's a weird gray area. And I, yeah, like, I just think there's so many unanswered questions in the carbon credits world, good and bad. Um, there's a lot of opportunity, but um, it's an interesting topic. Yeah, we're within sustainability in that cycle then, because I think a lot of consumers don't understand how it's such a cyclical process, right? It can be a fully integrated system of sustainability. And what part of that process do you feel like they are most confused? I think one of the things, so I obviously focus mostly on animal ag because I'm in dairy and obviously dairy also is involved in beef. Um, I feel like there is a lot of misunderstanding about the fact that if we gave up animal ag, that doesn't mean like marginal land could just instantly become avocado crops, right? Like I think yeah. there's like, or lettuce or any of these other things. Um, I think there's misunderstanding of how mechanically produced a lot of our vegetable crops are. And the ones that are, aren't is extensive labor. So I just think there's like, there's a lot of just not understanding the food supply system there, I guess. And then I think one of the other things that's really big is the lack of understanding about how you said it's like a system. It all works within itself. So animal ag actually consumes a lot of the byproducts from other parts of agriculture. And without that, you'd be creating more waste. So I always use cottonseed as the example. I probably sound like a broken record, but it's such an easy Hmm. one to understand that when you produce cotton, you end up with a cottonseed and cattle eat that as a source of protein. If cattle didn't eat that, that would ultimately like end up in a landfill Similar with, you know, uh, byproducts from ethanol, all these other things that cattle eat. And it's like, if you take away cattle, you add those emissions back into the system. And instead, cattle are able to upcycle them into protein. And I actually, I learned a super cool fact recently that cattle take 
um, 60 grams of protein and turn it into a hundred grams of protein. And they're the only like living thing on this planet, plants, animals, like ruminant grazing animals are the only ones that can do that. Like take a product that's low in protein and actually upcycle it into more protein, which I think is fascinating. And they get robbed when we talk about sustainability, (laughs) right? It's all about the output. Yes. And the methane, they never talk about the upcycling and it's like they're, they're getting all of these credits with no debits and they're doing so many great things. I agree. I feel like there isn't, I mean, obviously I believe strongly there's not enough people talking about this. Hence why I share about it online, but it is such a complicated topic that sometimes I feel like people see a headline, like a clickbaity headline that says something like animal. Like if you gave up meat, you will save the planet. Then we have to go back and be like, okay, whoa, like, and then give all these like nuanced details, all these facts, all these sources. And all they had to do was give like a five sentence clickbait topic, you know, headline. And people are like, oh yeah, definitely give up meat for the planet. And you're, oh, if you gave up meat for the planet and, and I'm going to switch over to swine here because I'm familiar and I, maybe you can give an analogy, but if we gave up meat, let's say pork, uh, contract growers who are family farmers doing crops to soy and corn and, and whatever else that is your traditional family farmer whose contract graze, raising would lose that source of income, lose the source of manure, lose the, the source of where they can apply the feed to, to be uh, sustainable. And then there's not as much of a need for the feed. The feed prices go way down. Like you pull out animal ag, crops start to crumble property values start to crumble and you could see the backbone of our nation in ag as a whole crumble, not just the meat component, but and, the, the fuels and, and, and the grains, all of that could just come crashing apart. And on the flip side, like from a sustainability side, if we, if the entire United States gave up all 100% went vegan, give up all animal ag, we would only reduce our carbon footprint by 2.6% and we would create some massive nutrient deficiencies like deficient. I mean, we're already not getting, you know, enough protein, enough calcium, especially in our children and like underserved communities. And so on the opposite side of the coin, like it really doesn't have the impact people think it does. Like our nutrition, our health, in my mind, is just as important as reducing our carbon footprint. Like we can't, we can't substitute. There's a really great research um, study that's like, do not make food, more sustainable and make it like less nutritious. Like we've, you can't trade off those two things. Yeah. And so So, I think that's, that's always, you know, just an interesting part that gets missed as well. How, how do you articulate this? What is your strategy to help individuals hear what you're saying and, and, uh, and believe it or engage with it? What do you do? So, I mean, yeah, you know, like I said, you have to give all this detail and then you have to fit it in like a nine second, like TikTok or reels, right? Like we all know yeah. if there's a TikTok longer than 10 seconds, like you're out. Uh, and so just trying to really break it down into super simple, like one liners is something I try to do like this, 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 and then like move on. Um, one of the things too, is like, you don't have to cover every topic in a single like reel just to make it like a bite-sized piece of information. And then, you know, it gives you more content for the next day. Like every day you're trying to create content and produce new information. And if you do too much in a single video, it gets lost anyway. So just trying to do those like bite size. I have been leaning into a little bit longer reels, like hitting that 60 seconds. Um, but I think you have to keep it moving really quickly. I do a lot of green screen and have something behind me. So you can be like looking at that, like while I'm sharing and then changing that a lot. Like, and those green screens, I try to use them as showing like whether it's an influencer that's maybe 
you know, misrepresenting something and then move right into the studies. Like this is a peer reviewed study. This is what it has to say. Um, and just try to hit it. Like, like, uh, I guess it's a balance of being emotionally connected with them, giving information like peer reviewed data and entertaining. Like you've got to like have all of that in those short clips to keep people's attention on it. What scares you the most in regards to society's disconnect around sustainability with animal agriculture? I think what scares me the most is their power, like their buying power scares me the most that if people do not understand ag and how food is produced, they go to the grocery store and they basically vote. In my mind, every time they use a dollar bill, they're voting for a farming practice. If they vote or if they use their dollar to buy non-GMO products, they are voting against GMOs. If they buy, you know, meat that, you know, we always see those chicken that says like antibiotic free and you're like every single chicken is antibiotic free. Like they're voting for like more of that, that, you know, like, oh yeah, marketing companies like that works more. We should put more of those on. And so that scares me is just, they have a lot of control without a lot of information. And um, there's some really great like studies out there with some like great statistics about how people admit to not knowing a lot about ag, but basing buying decisions on things they think they know about ag. And it's like, yep. So I think for me that that really scares me because um, I just don't want farmers to lose tools in their toolboxes, uh, different technologies or different, you know, whatever it is, whether it's GMOs or antibiotics or whatever. I don't want you to like farmers to lose those toolboxes because people won't buy them at the grocery store. Oh, and, and the problem is if they did truly care, and even if they're listening, if they truly cared, then I would say do the research on GMOs and understand that that in itself could offset an incredible amount of carbon of our yes. carbon footprint. It could improve nutrition, can eradicate disease. Like there's so much great things that have come from GMOs and in some cases, absolutely nothing bad through billions of dollars in testing. Just be educated, but yet there isn't a drive to be educated. And I don't know if that's because it's not formal enough or because it's too formal. Yeah, probably. I feel like sometimes it's a combination, you know, there's really great research out there, but it's getting that research out to people and having, it's even getting that research out to farmers and having them understand like, why are their stances and how they can be backed by research. You know, they they know, like if you have a farmer who knows GMOs are safe, they are not going to be able to like rattle off what new study just came out or whatever peer-reviewed data. And so like just trying to get that information to the right people. Um, I'm a firm believer in food choice at the grocery store. I just think you should make your choices based on actual facts. Like if you truly believe that you do not want cattle to receive, you know, antibiotics, I am fine with you choosing organic don't choose organic because you think it is something that it's not like better for the environment or a more nutritious product or a safer product. I want you to choose organic because you believe in those farming practices that are behind organic. You know, I just like, I'm like, I'm, I'm fine with you having your choice. I just want you to understand what your choice actually means. Uh, Absolutely. And I think as an industry, we need to do a better job of cliff noting all of this research (laughs) because universities have the answers, but Man, those research papers that are published are just a pain to read through. I know. I I gave a presentation about, um, it was probably about a year ago, about, you know, how to tell your story. And there was a researcher that was like, I know that telling my story is valuable. How do I do that? And I was like, I actually think, like, I feel like there's lots of different ways you could go around it. You could try to go directly to consumer and break down what you're researching for them. And then I think another great option is trying to reach, again, farmers, other advocates sharing online, 
and get them the data for them to kind of like break it down and reach their audiences. Like, I think there is ways with social media, we can do this. It's just, obviously it's just another added job to all of these people's jobs, right? Like the researchers, like my job is to produce this peer reviewed data, not to like break it down to get it to people. But you're like, I don't know. It's like so hard to just take that massive paper and get it out to the right people. Absolutely. And the, the trust for the industry that supports farmers that I want to quite go to, some would say that the trust of farmers is, is, is no longer there, but other research would suggest it's just as strong as it always was. So it seems like just the supporting agencies or groups or companies that help farmers are no longer trusted because they're the ones typically doing the communicating. But that trust, we just got to figure out a way to bring that trust back to the entire food system. I think you have it like spot on. I think that trust for farmers is at this high level as it's always been. There's research out there showing that. And based on what I've seen, just my personal like experiences is that when I tell things to people and explain things, what's going on on our farm, they believe it. They understand it. They may have more questions and may bring up other conversations, but they like believe what I'm saying at face value. And, uh, I think that a lot of the organizations that that do represent us, it just isn't the same. It feels more like a marketing ploy. It feels like a marketing tactic. And that that's a bummer because not every farmer wants the job of also marketing agriculture, right. Or educating the public about agriculture, but that's just the reality of it is that people want to hear directly from the farmers. And I do think a lot of our industry groups now are reaching out to more and more farmers. And when they are producing something like it actually has the, a real farmer with a real farmer story in there. Um, and so I'm, I'm curious to see what this shift looks like and what I think we've had a really interesting last 10 years of the introduction of social media and all these things. And it'll be equally as interesting to see where we go in the next 10 years with like marketing and educating people. And, and it floors me too. Cause with, with, with where people place their values around the family farmer that that farm we can connect with animals outside like that is what we care about until beef becomes the number one target of every sustainability initiative we need to eradicate the hamburger like uh oh oh all the others are fine but beef we need to destroy that industry yet that is the that is the blueprint of, of what the american farmer looks like is cattle and corn. Yeah, I do think that that is another thing that people I don't think people realize like I think if you asked America Americans, how do you like what do you want to support? They would say like family farms and they don't understand what actually support, supporting them means. Like yes. I'm like if you buy if you want to support a family farm, buy beef at your buy beef, you know, there buy milk. Milk is one of the most locally produced products at the grocery store, it usually travels less than 100 miles from your farm to your grocery store. And it travels there in less than 48 hours. If you want something that is not locally farmed, like not to bash like beyond meat or impossible burger, but that like it's going, yes, maybe the initial ingredients of soy and those kind of things are at a family farm, but then it's going to like a processor and a massive production that's packaging it all. Like you're like, I think you're missing the mark on what family, what actually means supporting family farms. Yeah, and even in like the swine industry, and I want to switch over to nutrition here in a second, which I think this is going to be a good uh, good point for that. Uh, but even in, in swine, typically these companies like JBS, Smithfield, Tyson, they're contracting the purchasing of their hogs from family farms. And so it actually gets into their hands the day the pig is slaughtered. And then they're marketing that within a reasonable distance because... 
We don't want to have to ship food all across the U.S. if we don't have to. If I get a packing plant in North Carolina and one in Sioux City, Sioux City, South Dakota, I'm going to be logistically managing that appropriately. Just because it has a big name label doesn't mean it's not supporting a family farm, especially in an integrated industry. And uh, there's just so much more to learn. But I want to switch over to nutrition. Uh, I'll throw out a stat that might get things going. I was talking with a purchasing guy from Chicago who looked at all the buying patterns of, of our, of, of the states. And he said that the purchasing patterns of alternative dairy products in no way correlate with the purchasing patterns of alternative protein, like Beyond Meat. They say it's hovering between one and 2% and as many new people are trying it as as many people are leaving it. Um, so knowing that those two are different, I'd like to talk about alternative dairy because that's been a big disruptor, but then also alternative protein. And what are you seeing around nutrition? What, what are the myths that you're debunking? So a big one is that I think this one has kind of come out and come into light lately, but six months ago, it was like, oh, beyond me and these impossible burgers, these alternative proteins are just killing it. Uh, sales annually for alternative meats have actually decreased 10%. I think it's 10.5% in the last year. So like you said, I mean, more people are leaving it. Sure. There's maybe new people trying it. It's a lot of times a novelty thing. Like, oh, I'm going to buy it and try it. Not my favorite. I'm not going to buy it again. Um, so I think that that's really interesting. And I, there's been so many news articles in the last few weeks, I feel like about this meat alternative situation and the decline of it. Um, on the alternative milk side, you know, you said like alternative milk's been such a disruptor. What's funny is 95% of households still have dairy. I think Uh it's something like 90% of people who buy an alternative milk actually buy cow's milk as well. It's usually about a choice thing, not a one or the other. Um, and then actually the biggest disruptor to fluid milk is bottled water, not milk alternatives. Bottled water has taken more share of people are, you know, I've been told for how long now you got to drink more water. You got to drink more water. And so people are drinking bottled water instead of like picking up a glass of milk and having a glass of milk. And obviously a lot of milk, milk consumption this is another one. That's a big um, misconception is that, um, especially on like vegan sites that like, Oh, dairy is dying. Dairy is decreasing dairy consumption as an all time high. We have never consumed as much butter or cheese as we do now. Fluid milk is holding steady. It had been in decline and now it's kind of holding steady. Um, because people are getting their dairy in different ways. I know I personally don't drink a glass of milk every day, but I absolutely yeah. you know, have cheese. I have yogurt. I have some other form of dairy. Um, and so, yeah, d- dairy's doing amazing. And so it's those are probably like the three big ones I see that I'm like, mm, not so fast. Yeah, well, it seems like a market that has, uh, despite new entrants, um, held fast. And it's they may not captured more market share, but, but they're still holding very strong. And like you said, at an all-time high. I feel like with the millennial generation traveling and go, 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 go all the time, um, the alternative dairy products, like if, if it sits in the, in the fridge for two months, uh, you don't have that, that jug going every, every few days, but yeah, milks, especially when you say the cheese thing, we got more cheese that, well, that and is big right now. I mean, a big thing we've all seen is, you know, there's been all these pushes for like eat things with less ingredients that does not bode well to alternative proteins, alternative no. milks, uh, margarine, none of those things. I mean, you turn around the back of a milk jug and it's like milk, you know, <laughs> that's it. It's not real exciting. Um, butter, similarly, you know, beef, the same. And then you turn over the packaging of a lot of these alternatives. And so if you are in the camp of like, I'm keeping my ingredient list low, whether that's right or wrong or indifferent, 
that I do think is like hindering a lot of like the scaling of some of these alternative beverages and proteins. Yeah, and it kind of contradicts. So when we look at the 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 buying group who's typically fi- buying alternatives, sustainability and let's call it welfare, um, let's say nutrition, seem to be the things they're focused on. But with animal ag becoming much more carbon neutral, sustainability is is really should stop being a a marketing point for those products. Uh, when you look at the nutrition standpoint, and we look at let's just let's call culture meats, right? Like when we're talking about cell-based protein, um, they're pumping chemicals to grow those things based off of stem cells. Like they're nothing natural. And so do we want what's natural or do we want what doesn't involve an animal? And if that's truly what it comes down to, we're talking about a very small part of the population. That I read um, in an article recently about the decline in um, alternative proteins that they were never like the Impossible Burger was never meant for vegans or vegetarians. They are not out there looking for meat alternatives. They are choosing, like you said, kind of like going to that, like um, they want a salad. They want, you know, just more of like whole foods typically than like processed foods. And uh, that's obviously a generalization. I'm sure there's lots of <laughs> vegans that love processed foods, but it was actually more for like the flexitarians, the people that are like, well, I don't really, I'm not sure. So I'm going to like, I heard this is better for the plant. I'm going to try it out. You know, like not, they're yeah. not, not like the hardcore that are like, no, I want to eat whole foods. I, I don't want, you know, animal protein. Okay. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Another thing that I think that's coming up on the like horizon is a lot of research around the bioavailability of animal protein and like the absorption into our bodies of animal protein versus plant protein and how we need to start labeling our nutritional labels different based on how much protein is actually being absorbed. Because for some plant proteins, I mean, it can be as low as 40% absorption compared to 95 for beef. And so if it says 10 grams of protein, that's actually four grams for maybe a plant-based protein. And it's actually 9.5 for beef. So that's a very different 10 grams. That would be great. Yeah. I'm like, let's, let's push that research ahead a little. (laughs) Even for me, that would be great. Yeah. And so if you're trying, and a lot of people are trying to hit protein, like macros now, it's like a big thing. And so this was like um, a conversation that was like, if you are choosing to be vegan or vegetarian, you probably need to actually increase your protein by like 60% plus over what the recommendation is because you're getting so much less protein absorbed. So I think those are some good things happening for animal ag in the future. Where do you see things getting better or worse right now? Does it, does it feel like things are getting better or worse since you've been doing this over the last six years? I think things are getting better. I mean, I feel like I'll say that tomorrow, like some huge, you know, major publication will publish something terrible about, you know, ag. But I think that overall, I think a lot of people are at least asking questions. They're like mm-hmm. food curious and they want to know more. They're not quite sure they believe like all the rhetoric around like animal ag is bad. Obviously, there's still lots of people out there like fighting against us, working against us, saying other things. But I do think that there is like a little bit of a shift. I think a lot of people tried alternative diets in the last decade. And now they're kind of like, maybe that wasn't the best choice. Like maybe my health isn't as good as I thought. And I feel like we're kind of like coming back around. Um, my, I'm on a podcast and my co-host and I always say like, we think meat is having its moment right now. Like actually, yes, because of all these conversations around alternatives, it's actually led to more conversations about beef and what it, you know, oh, and pork, just animal protein in general about 
how good it is for you. Well, during COVID, the average household bought 3x the types of cuts that they normally would have. So while we were stuck at home, while we went back to cooking for ourselves, the average American citizen had three times the variety of cuts of meat. That tells me that they are very meat curious. Yeah, and they bought more expensive meats and were testing out how to cook them at home. And once you learn how to cook an expensive meat, it's it's hard to go back to ground beef. Let's let's be honest. Once you had a good cut of meat, you're like, I'm going to keep buying that. And dairy went up, more consumption of dairy. It's just so interesting that our restaurant buying habits are so different than our at home. Like I saw that um, on the other side of the spectrum, onions decreased because a lot of people are not really sure how to cook with onions at home. They just can be an overwhelming flavor. Whereas restaurants, or if you're like working with a chef or something like you are going to incorporate more onions, or even if you make a cheeseburger at home, you may be like, oh, I can skip the onion. But at oh, a I restaurant, me too. But at a restaurant, I always have onions. So it's like yes. funny how we pick different things. Or like at a restaurant, I would never order a glass of milk. But like I typically drink a core power for breakfast. So which is obviously a milk based product. An amazing, an amazing product. Oh, thank you. We're the co-op. We're a part of the co-op. That oh, it, it tastes so good. That was I, I went on this like hyper fixation on that where I was spending probably more than I, I was probably I probably should have bought the bigger jugs and stuff. But. <laughs> Oh my goodness. It tastes so good. Oh, good. And it gets like, you know, you're supposed to get those 30 grams of protein in in the morning and it you can, it's 26. You're like, man, I'm right there. Like I'm hitting my morning protein requirement. Oh, it's great. So yeah. So those are, I don't know. Those are just some of the, I don't know. I think interesting things happening right now. I'm glad you brought the pandemic into this too, because it really did have obviously a large impact on our food buying habits. It's it's been a massive shift, and I really do think meat's having its moment. And if if we want to call it an impending recession, I don't think that's going to bode well for the high highly expensive alternative products. I think people are going to start to think with their budget as opposed to with their uh, with what they're hearing on the news or what they're seeing in campaigns against animal ag or against uh, we'll call it inorganic if if you can even call it inorganic, <laughs> right? So I guess yeah. Um, Excited to see where things go. Before we wrap things up, I'd love it if you'd share with us something unique about yourself that most of, obviously, our listeners, but even your listeners might not know. Oh, my gosh. I know. You asked me. You you sent me this question, and I was like, I have no idea, and I'm like not prepared at all. I don't (laughs) know. I don't think there's anything unique. I feel like I've been sharing online so long. I'm like, I'm an open book. I I tell you everything. (laughs) What what do you do to completely check out if you need a refresh for me it's being on a boat in the summer with family what's yours yeah Yeah, no I love going to the lake with my family that was actually what I was gonna say I think people know that about me but I absolutely love going out to the lake we have a lake only we're in New Mexico we are not the land of many lakes let me (laughs) we have like three in our state Uh, and we are lucky enough to have one only an hour and a half away from us and I just feel like I'd go up there for years until probably three years ago I didn't have cell service up there we just it was like no you cross a certain line you have cell service and so it's always just been my place. It's like, I'm sorry, you can't reach me. I'm I'm at the lake now. And I just feel like in our very connected world, it's just so beautiful to still have a place where you get to just be like, don't don't yes. connect with me. Just let me. And I have young kids. And I just, I feel like when I get on my phone up there, they're like, this mom, it's like family time. And so I love just absolutely disconnecting when I'm at the lake. Absolutely. What is a word, a little word of what life wisdom that you can share? A golden nugget. That you oh can share my gosh. Okay. Golden nugget. Um, 
I feel like this is kind of been going around the internet, but I, I believe it is like start scared. I feel like in the last two years, I have jumped into so many new endeavors and I am so glad I have. Um, and I was scared. I was terrified. Like I remember when I got asked to speak, um, at the UN FAO, like food security. And I was just like, I can't do this. I told my husband, I can't do this. Like, and he was like, <laughs> yes, you can. Like you have to. And it was just so many opportunities like that, that it was just saying yes, even though I was scared, even though I was unsure, um, have turned out to just be incredible. So like, don't let fear be the reason to hold you back. Risk yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you for being a guest on the Popular Pig Podcast. It's It's been a real pleasure to have you on. Yeah, thanks for having me. And um, I'll give a, if it's okay, I'll give a plug for my podcast, if you don't mind. I feel like podcasts Yeah, go ahead. Ours. How can people listen to you? Yeah, so we are currently in a rebranding, but we are going to be under Discover Ag. So you can find us on all the major streaming networks at Discover Ag. We've been Elevate the Podcast slash Elevate Ag, and now we're going to Discover Ag. Uh, so that's where you can find me. Awesome. What are, can you talk about here briefly, the things that you focus on? Yeah. So it is, um, our slogan is kind of, uh, ag, like you've never heard it before. So uh, it's two women hosts, which I feel like is kind of weird in the ag space. Not always like women hosts. It's cool. And we bring you industry news, um, just kind of really trendy things too. Like we try, we kind of are like ag, but make it trendy. Um, so very like millennial women based, uh, we try to connect with our urban counterparts. So if you are not in ag, you absolutely will still get something out of this podcast and maybe take a little bit of ag away with you. Um, so that's kind of what we're covering. Awesome. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. This is amazing. I loved it. Thank you for joining us on this episode of popular pig. We aspire to learn and grow together through the experience and wisdom shared by our esteemed guests. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues within the swine industry. For more information, please go to popularpig.com to receive updates when new episodes are available. Popular Pig is brought to you by SwineTech, the award-winning creators of SmartGuard and PigFlow. To learn how PigFlow can help you streamline your workforce and reduce piglet and sow deaths, visit swinetechnologies.com. 